Because if you don't um, have your identity accurate, it's really impossible to live a meaningful, purposeful life. The identity is, is central, it's prerequisite. We have to know who we are. And my pastoral concern is that we live in a culture where ID theft is occurring all the time. And, and we've bought these lies of who we are or who we should be. And so we can't live a good, holy life as a result. Welcome to the Life School Podcast, where each week you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. This is the stuff that your parents, teachers, and pastors forgot to tell you. I'm Heath Hollinsby, here with your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Back together, my friend, another episode of the Glorious Life School Podcast. And is there a more beautiful day of the year here in the Northwest to be doing? Oh, I know. I wish, I'm, you know, where I'm sitting, I can see outside, and it's it's all it's nearly temperatureless which i don't know if i've mentioned this before but that's like what i strive for in life i think heaven's going to be temperatureless where not too hot, i don't not too perceive cold. any heat or cold right now it's just yeah. perfect well i walked in and you're on the back porch with your cup of coffee and just looking oh, at the birds oh and... my goodness you just got back from a little vacation but yeah i think you might vacation a little differently than yeah we did I... we took the four kids camping like straight up tent camping in the woods uh not glamping not glamping by any means uh, lots of bug bites Yep, skin a couple bee stings, knees, yeah. skin knees, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> grit that took about 20 minutes underneath our fingernails. How many to get nights? Out. So we just did two this time, and we're doing another three next month and another part of the So it takes like two days to load the car yeah. for all the stuff you need, <laughs> day and a half to empty it, two, two days of camping. So that's a week's vacation. Yeah, Perfect. seriously, it takes, and the kids, but you know, the kids loved it, and they're out of the beach, and we're flinging you them in the water. We loved it too when the kids were younger. Yeah. We re- it really did. It just got get to a point now that if it's, yeah, if there's not a remote control and I can... Yeah, get some sort of a beverage cold in my hand. Yeah, I don't know. It's... There's a there's kind of this ongoing battle when we camp because Kathleen's family grew up with these things called holy rollies, which is a, holy rollies. Yeah, they're spiritual, but it's a they take a, <laughs> a raw biscuit on the end of a dowel, toast it, roll it in butter, sprinkle it with cinnamon and sugar, and add chocolate and butter on the inside. Oh, health foods. Yeah, yeah, it's great for you. It's like an alternative to s'mores, and oh. she her family loves it, and I think they're just maybe a C minus at best. They're not as good as a s'more. No, I don't like s'mores. So our family did what these, they're called doughboys, and it's the same exact thing, <laughs> except the inside is full of cold pudding and whipped cream. And how so it's like you have to inject it in after it's been yeah, pretty roasted. much. Yeah. Oh, okay, I was gonna say, how does it get in there and stay cold? So it's the eternal fight of us. All trying right, to convince enough friends. of that. Like I'm sure everybody tuned in to hear our camping stories because right now my head is full of a bunch of like camping horror stories with the kids. Oh yeah, I won't go there. Hey man, before we get started, I wanted to get to a review that we got from Great. Rev Rich White who says. I'm just I'm just beginning my ministry as a Church of England vicar, and this podcast has helped to radically reshape my vision for family and mission. Nice. It's so thought-provoking and yet ra- really practical. Every vicar needs to listen to this. Nice. That might be our new slogan. Every, Every vicar needs to listen to this. a new tagline. Now, for those of you who are, are listening from North America and you don't know like exactly what a vicar is, it's kind of like pastor. It's pretty yeah. similar. I have a friend, a good friend, who's a vicar uh, in in England and Cambridge and um, the house, her house is called the Vicarage. It's not huh. a parsonage. It's a Vicarage. Wow. Anyway, I didn't know that. All right. So pretty excited about today's guest. Hey, yeah. So we've got Eric Peterson on who Eric is actually, I came to know Eric through a guest we've had on the show, David McDonald. And then we have a mutual friend, Len Sweet, who we'll have on the show coming up. Great. Um, but Eric is one of my favorite guys. Now he's from Maryland originally. 
Now he lives in the Northwest in Spokane, where he's a pastor. It has Transplant. been for years. Okay. Uh, he's, he's got his wife, Elizabeth. They've got three kids. Uh, and what I really love is this book he released called Wade in the Water. He, um, he really has focused the last couple of years on the purpose of baptism and identity in the life of a believer. So big. Yeah, we, now, we talk about this a lot on the on, on the Life School podcast, but yeah, it's now we're going to have an expert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. you know, and Eric's dad, Eugene, was a huge influence in my life. I've, I mean, the Message Bible is the one I read most of the time, and the apple has not fallen far from the tree. He's just a really pastoral guy. I think he's going to be a great guest on the show today. I am excited to get into this with Eric. All right, Eric, thanks for being with us today. You're welcome. Good to be with you. I have really enjoyed over the last, I think about year now, getting to know you a little bit here and there, either through Facebook or actually the times that we've spent together. And I mean, we've hung out twice and once was in England and once was in Oregon. Uh, and, and one thing that I really appreciate about you is when I, when I was first introduced to you was the conversation about how important baptism was for you. And I know that in our, in our own personal conversations, you have a real deep desire to help people not only see themselves as holy, but to live like sacred, meaningful, abundant lives in the midst of this broken and fearful world. Uh, that's not only a theme from your doctoral work, but part of your new book, uh, Wade in the Water, as well. So I'm just kind of curious, where did this passion come from in your life, and how how what made it become such a significant passion for you? Well, I think like a lot of things, it started small um, and grew and evolved and developed. I thought it was going to be a short-lived kind of emphasis in my pastoral work, but. Um, I'm, I'm 22 years into this experiment and I've haven't found the bottom of this well yet. I think it started as a grace, really. Um, I came to the Spokane area to start a new church in 1997 and I was, um, it's not something I wanted to do. I was called to do it and I came with some, uh, considerable resistance and reluctance and I had a lot of fear of failure. And, um, and so early on, I became aware of a danger um, that I would treat or think of people as resources to establish um, and develop a successful church. So I, I think I was just aware that I had this tendency or there was a temptation to view people through what they could um, provide, do, um, it was as resources, people that could write checks, that kind of thing. And uh, that just felt so wrong. So I, I realized that these are children of God. These are holy souls. Again, it was just, I, I think I just sort of stumbled on it, actually, realizing if I can relate to people as the baptized uh, that's going to help protect me from reifying them into these objective resources. And it did. It, it really helped me to treat them as they should be treated. But then as things developed, I realized this is also a gift to them, uh, to all of us, to think of ourselves as the baptized. And it just kind of developed from there. And then when I was able to take some time to do this concentrated doctoral study, I, I spent you know two or three years researching it more carefully, and uh, and that became a gift just to unpack and develop something that had been for a good number of years. Um, I was just sort of operating on the fly, sort of on the you know backseat of my pants, so to speak. Has this been something then that's become in in the, in the many years since you 
started the church and now many years of pastoring the same body. Uh, is, is this a recurring theme then in your preaching and your equipping of the people uh, for the works of service and discipleship and all? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, um, I try not to overdo it, but there are at least three references to baptism in every worship service. Um, usually they're just the Trinitarian formula, but that's the baptismal formula. It's, it's frequent, uh, not every Sunday, but frequently, um, water is being poured into the font. We are rehearsing our baptismal vows. Um, I'll remind people of that kind of identity language. I mean, I think 80% of our congregation, if you were to say, what's the, what is this church about? Um, I'm pretty sure 80% would say baptism. And it's been meaningful for them. They're not just indulging me. So, for example, it was just the other night I uh, saw on the prayer chain, a note came across that said, thank you for praying for my Aunt Hazel. She completed her baptism this evening. What did, what did they mean by that? Yeah, well, it's um, they've just learned to understand that baptism is... It's a covenantal relationship, and the covenants that we make have a beginning. Um, there's, a, there's an event that establishes the covenant, but it gets lived out and practiced over a lifetime. And so much like a marriage where you're, there's a wedding day, there's an event, um, but that's just the beginning. That's just a moment in time. A couple that gets married spends the rest of their life practicing their vows. And, you know, no one expects them to come back from their honeymoon having marriage all figured out. You get a whole lifetime to work out those those promises and vows and to honor the marriage. And it's not finished until somebody dies. So I think there's a grace in that. You know, you, uh, it's not perfection that we're, that is being asked of us. Faulty faith is just fine. We're all rookies in the life of faith, and we stumble and fall, and and that's the grace. We uh, we just return. That's the that's the notion of repentance. We just keep turning back to the lover of our souls and keep moving. Take the next step of faith. Eric, how do you find that as that that reality of that that baptism, that covenant, and that immersion into identity? How how do you see it play out in people's lives as Christians? How do, like I don't, you know, I want to be careful how I say this, but like, how do they become different Christians when they start to, this starts to really sink in for them? What's the change? What's the, what, like over the years, what have you said? Like, this is the biggest thing that starts to shift. It varies from person to person, but as part of my research, I did interview a good chunk of the congregation uh, because I was curious about that question. How has this emphasis on baptismal identity uh, helped develop you in the, in the life of Christ? Uh, so it's varied quite a bit, but I think it has primarily a reorienting effect. Uh, the way I think about it is that we are, I heard your word immerse, and I like that very much. We're, we're immersed in a culture uh, where there's this massive propaganda machine. It's a campaign that's at work, and we're so deep in it that we don't even notice it much of the time. But the messages are telling us who we are, uh, and they're mostly lies. So the primary 
you know, marketing campaign in which we live is saying, well, you're a consumer and you're a producer. So meaningful lives are accompanied by what you buy and, and consume. It's, it's what you can consume, what you can produce and what you can acquire. Those are the kind of the three, that's the godhead of cultural baptism. And so the sacramental approach is to say, no, that's, that's a, those are lies. Uh, your identity is located in this reality that you have been adopted as a child of God, that you've been grafted into the body of Christ. There's nothing in heaven or on earth or in hell that can separate you from the love of God. And it doesn't depend on what you do uh, or how you behave, but simply the fact that God has said yes to you. Uh, well, that that provides a lot of space and freedom to be human and imperfect and um, flawed. And I think what I've noticed is, is the amount of shame that most of us carry with us. And so the sacramental approach has a way of, I'm not quite sure what the right word is, but I think it has a way of uh, diffusing that uh, because shame is accompanied by uh, identifiers. That is, it, it identifies us in, in a negative way. There's something terribly innately wrong with me. But when in baptism, I hear God say, mine, it, um, it speaks a word of truth into the sea of lies. And there's great implication from that. You even refer to Lady Gaga as as a priestess in the religion of pop culture. Maybe you can speak into this a bit and and how the sort of sacred secular debate comes into play regarding this specific topic. Yeah, I mean, Lady Gaga, I'm a fan of hers. I think she's brilliant and creative, but she uses some of these images of baptism. There's water um, in her videos. Sometimes it's that explicit. It's that you know, obvious and unvarnished, uh, most of the times it's much more subtle. And that's where it's more dangerous, I think. That's where we, I think, as pastors are trying to raise a level of awareness. Like, this is what's going on. This is a world that God loves, but it is, uh, it's inhabited by these lies uh, that, are, that are spouting values that are contrary to the kingdom of God. There's also that story I think I, I put in the book about Sarah Palin when she was the keynote speaker at an NRA convention and um, and and she said if this is a this is a rough paraphrase, but it's essentially if I were in the Oval Office, if I were in this position, uh, we would show them uh, that waterboarding is how we baptize terrorists. Whoa, ouch. I don't know if I've ever been more offended, you know, when I came across that. Um, but most of the time, it's much more subtle. It's it's going to be um, eat this, drive this, wear this, and you're going to be a happy, fulfilled person. Those are the lies. And if we're not returning constantly back to our, our identity in Jesus, it's going to be a whole lot easier to swallow some of those lies without even 
without even gagging, right? Oh, and it's prevalent. It's everywhere. It's ubiquitous, yeah. So you, you've talked about the importance of Jesus being baptized. You've talked and written about it. The, probably Jesus being the one person who didn't necessarily need to be baptized or repent necessarily change his mind of anything. And the significance of that event, his baptism. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I know there's always... Uh, in my life and pastoring and even there's there's a lot of different sides that and I find it very fascinating as well as to like okay why did Jesus come to John to be baptized and why is that so significant for us it's a good question and I don't think I've got a complete answer for it I'm still working on this I think there's uh, there's some mystery there in my mind and all of the scholarly responses I have found not to be altogether satisfying so John resisted that too, right? He was with us. He's like, what are you talking about? You should be baptizing me. But Jesus' response is, this is a fulfillment of righteousness. There's something right about this. Um, so I think part of it is this helps us to um, dispel of any possibility, any, any creeping notion that Jesus was not fully human. Uh, this is one of the ways that he demonstrates his full humanity. Uh, he comes that close to us, comes alongside us in that uh, intimate a way as to say, I'm all in with the rest of humanity, uh, including all the, the mortality that goes with that. Um, and then the last piece that I, I think makes sense to me is that at Jesus' baptism, we get the voice of God um, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, so the heavens you know, are cracked open. This voice of pleasure and affirmation comes thundering down. And well, I think it's significant that it's relational language. It's not, here's Jesus of Nazareth. It's, this is my son. So it's altogether relational, personal. And that's part of what happens in our baptism. We bring the fullness of our humanity. Uh, we submit ourselves uh, to this action that is both lethal and life-giving. There's a drowning and a, and a raising. It's got that twofold purpose. Uh, we're promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to accompany us all the days of our life. And we hear this thundering voice. It's a definitive, exclamatory voice. Mine, my daughter, my son. I can go through a lot of hard things if I know that. Have you ever wondered, Eric, why we don't see an example of Jesus baptizing anyone? I know it's a bit of a tangent, but, you know, it's one of those many things like, Jesus, if you just could have given us a little more information or written that down or the order of service, if you just told us how many songs on the front end and the back end, we, we could get a, we could probably half the amount of denominations. But I've always wondered why is Jesus sort of modeled the life and, and, and of the kingdom and life in light of being the son, God's own son? And that, you know, when you pray, you pray, this is our father. And wow. So how, how can we not see him modeling that where he baptizes someone in, and, and immerses them, baptizes, soaks them into this restored identity? Well, that's a good question. And my limited understanding is that he didn't do a lot of things. Um, he took in his three year ministry, he, he did significant things, but there are a lot of things he didn't do. And it wasn't until after um, Ascension and Pentecost that the church then continued with that work. But there are a lot of things that the apostles did 
that Jesus didn't do. It was like this continuation of ministry. So I, I think it's intentional on his part. He just he takes us to a to a point, and then the church uh, carries it on from there. But you know, among his last words are, "This is what I want you to do. I want you to go into the whole world, and I want you to baptize." Um, that's the that's the that's the charge, right? That's the great commission: make disciples and then baptize them. <laughs> yeah, on both ends, right? Even as you're talking there, Eric, I was thinking about uh, the time that I was baptized, and um, and you know, I know a lot of churches that typically, the way you're speaking about baptism, there's a sacredness to it. There's this identity. There's a sonship, a daughtership, uh, and it's a whole lot more than like throwing people through a, a watering trough to get the numbers up for the big, you know, the big Easter event or whatever it might be. Do you think that the church, not only in America, but maybe most contemporary forms of the church we see today, by and large, have either lost like the paramount significance of baptism or maybe ne- never really saw it for what it should be in the first place? And what effects do you think this actually has on followers of Jesus today? Yeah, that's a big question. And yeah, I think part of my grievance with the church of the 20th, 21st century, uh, which is not really unique to other centuries, is that uh, we've kind of dissected some of it. We've scrutinized it. And I mean, I just, I find it kind of crazy and silly and scandalous that we have denominations that have been formed around debates about how, you know, an understanding of baptism and how it should be administered. That just seems altogether like that's a, can you miss the point any more than that? Um, when it gets down to how it's administered. Don't be sprinkling anyone. Don't splash when you're in there. <laughs> I just have no interest at all in the, in the administration. That is the, you know, whether it's sprinkling, immersion, effusion, all the different, you know, technical ways, or whether it's credo or pedo baptism, uh, whether it's children or believing people, because that's that's where the church has gotten bogged down in debates, and I feel like we've missed the beauty and the uh, the significance. This is God claiming us as uh, the sacred souls that we are, and ushering us into lives in the kingdom of God as citizens of heaven. And I mean, it's just you know, it's massive and it's beautiful, and I just think that there's got to be a lot of room for differing understandings of not only how to do it, but what it actually means. Um, but we, we like our precision. So Eric, we teach a lot about discipleship and really living a lifestyle of discipleship and mission as it flows from our identity. And, and we've taught it well for years, you know, in, you know, with our people, but also now, you know, as an author myself and on, on, on the podcast here, we talk a lot about that this, this great command, this great commission to go and make disciples all over the world, teaching them everything I've taught you, and then baptizing, baptismo, soaking, immersing them into the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit, that all of that is not only our, our the church's commissioning, like that's what we're up to, that's the mission, but it's all a giant identity statement. Because whenever you hear in the name of, that's an identity statement. You know, my last name's Kalinowski. My son is also Caesar Kalinowski. His son is Caesar Kalinowski. He's the fifth one. In the name of is a big identity statement. Are we on the right path here with this stuff? No, you're precisely right. It's it's an identity um, into the holy name, the threefold name. Uh, because if you don't um, have your identity 
accurate, it's really impossible to live a meaningful, purposeful life. The identity is, is central. It's prerequisite. We have to know who we are. And my pastoral concern is that we live in a culture where ID theft is occurring all the time. And, and we've bought these uh, lies of who we are or who we should be. And so we can't live a good, holy life as a result. So baptism, I think, is, is the way to, the, the most compelling way <clears throat> to kind of invite people into a way of understanding themselves in relationship to God so that uh, we can live uh, according to this uh, sacred ID. Yeah, so often in the church we talk about your identity is now in Christ, but it doesn't take it far enough because it sort of shorthand means, well, you're saved now because of the work of Christ, um, and so your identity is wrapped up in him. He's your life, and someday you get to go to heaven, and, and no one really like quite knows what that means. It's nice. It's a good thinking. It's accurate. But what about the rest of the Godhead? <laughs> so uh, there's huge, like I said, there's huge implication and and change that occurs when we see people start to really understand and embrace their Trinitarian identity. That's how you were created. That got broken and messed up in ways we don't fully understand at the fall. And, and of course, my own choices as well. But now, as a disciple of Jesus, we're being re-immersed, reconnected to the identity, the family of God in community with others. Wow, so big, <laughs> so big. Where would you spend, like, you know, like the last minute or two here with us, encouraging people who've not spent much time considering the importance of baptism? Where would you encourage them to, you know, to to go? Like, we're what what we're obviously we're going to be referring, uh, and you know, them to your book and all. But what what would you think it'd be beneficial for maybe pastors listening or just the average you know Christian listening to this, um, if you were to speak to them pastorally about baptism? I mean, one of the things that was so intriguing to me is uh, as part of my discipline and research was to kind of go through the scriptures from Genesis to the Revelation and to just notice the ways that water figured into the narrative. And with just a few exceptions, you can see how the presence or prevalence of water is... Um, is connected to the the deep uh, layered meaning of baptism. What? The first six days of creation. That's cool that we can see that connection, but why do you think, I mean, that's not accidental. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. I mean, water is a part of the uh, five of the six days of creation. It's, it's like, this is the formative stuff of the origins of life. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it's got these both lethal and life-giving qualities about it. It's the most prevalent element on the planet. I mean, so I think this is the genius of a sacrament, is that it takes something that's so common, present, um, ordinary, and adds these deep layers of meaning and significance I mean, that's where I would start is just to every time you see the word water or find a, you know, a, a moist kind of word in the scriptures, just think about how it gets connected to baptism. But ultimately, it becomes this daily thing where drink a glass of water, I'm baptized. Take a shower, I'm baptized. Um, get caught in the rain. This is, these are the baptismal blessings. 
and you can't go very long without it, right? Just like the sacrament of, of we, that we call communion, taking taking you know the Lord's Supper. That's the most common three times a day thing going going down in humans' lives in rhythm, other than breath and the fact that we're made of water. <laughs> so yeah, again, we see a sacrament where we're constantly being reminded of grace and God's overarching purpose to fill the world with His glory. Beautiful. So part of what's happened, I think, is that we have. Um, we've elevated these things as sacraments in the church so that they become difficult to access. Um, you know, you spent, uh, there was a time when we were spending two years in uh, catechesis, preparation for baptism. Um, you memorize all these things. There's a bishop involved and only a priest can administer this. And there are these renunciations and exorcisms. And, and now with communion, we, um, you know, similarly, at least in my tribe, it's you have to be an ordained pastor to celebrate the sacrament. So part of what I'm trying to do is bring it back to the, um, this is a part of your daily life. This is not a Sunday ritual uh, or an occasional kind of thing. And so um, I've actually tried this a couple of times where during a, a dinner meal with my family and friends, at some point, I'll just reach into the bread basket and say, on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And I won't even finish it. I'll just say that much. And that dinner becomes a sacrament. Yeah. It's beautiful, man. Do you do the same thing with water? Well, I, I yeah. I mean, I, I do in worship. Um, you know, I'll invite people to uh, rehearse their baptismal vows which is really just a two-step dance, right? It's just a turning from and a turning toward. I'll pose those questions while I'm pouring the water and give them a chance to just say uh, yes to that. I do. I mean, I think we need these regular reminders because we are, we're forgetful. We've got amnesia. We keep forgetting who we are. Eric, I just want to say, uh, as we wrap up our time here, man, I, I, I greatly appreciate our our few times together. Look forward to many more together. Uh, I, I'm thankful that you uh, you take this call, especially of the water and the baptism. Every time I'm with you, it comes out, and I I just appreciate how pastoral you are as a person, and how uh, I, f- I feel deeply cared for by you when we're together. So I appreciate who you are, and I th- and and thanks for sharing with us today. No, you're welcome. Thank you. This has certainly given me a lot to think about, Eric. This has given me a lot of food for thought, and. Uh... Yeah, can't wait to let the spirit take my heart deeper into this. It's beautiful. Thank you. So now we need a fo- we need a follow up book on on communion, so we can have the sacrament like a sacrament series by Eric Peterson. Ooh. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think I think that book, that book's been written. I think. <laughs> well, thanks for being with us today. You're very welcome. It's been good to be with you. Thanks for your interest in this and for taking it seriously. It was a pleasure to be with you and get to talk with you today, Eric. Thank you so much. You bet. Man, I really appreciate every time, like I said, Caesar, before we even started recording, every time we're, every time I'm around Eric, I just feel like he's thoughtful and he's wise and he ties in faith to, you know, some of these big thoughts to things that are actually definitely a pastor's heart, huh? Yeah. Wow. I really appreciate that. And one of the things that we like to follow up with, even even on the episodes with our guests, is the big three, which is if nothing else, we want you to walk away with a free download in a printable PDF form of the top three takeaways that we want you to leave with from this week's episode, right? And you can get them for free by going to 123lifeschool.com forward slash big three. Again, that's 123lifeschool.com forward slash big three. 
Caesar, if you were to sum up what we talked about today, uh, what would where would you take Ooh. us with the big three? Well, don't don't miss the fact that Eric said he really was a huge fan of Lady Gaga. Okay, <laughs> me yeah. too. So I like I like them a lot better right then. So. Yeah. <laughs> but also, well, there's some challenges. No, here's the big three today. Okay. Okay. And I'm kind of following our pattern like we often do of head, heart, hands with this, but whew, so much can be said. Okay, so here we go. First one. The lie of the dominant culture is that what you produce, consume, and acquire equals your true value. Hmm. Wow. That was huge. Yeah, we said that. So this, and all of that then puts us under the heavy weight of a do equals be existence. What we do equals our value. Sure. And that crushes the soul and it breeds fear and separation between us. You're absolutely right. I've never, I, I've heard the consume piece, but the acquiring piece and the pro- produce i've dealt with that a bit before the do to be but the acquiring aspect i'd never even contribute that to the three wow yep all right number two when we operate out of our our identity believing that we are god's beloved children and that our heavenly dad is really well pleased with us then we get to live in freedom and deeper connection to others seeing everyone else as part of the same divine family yeah so no longer do we need to prove our worth or importance or strive to earn our father's affection we can live fully embracing the truth yeah, that he a, sees us as sons and daughters. Such a relief from having to strive oh, all the time, man. right? All right, number three. Pay attention to how often water is present and its importance in your daily life. And, and let it start to remind you, like the sacrament of your baptism, that you're now immersed and soaked into your true, restored Trinitarian identity as a full-fledged member of God's family of missionary servants. And, and we've been sent as disciples of Jesus out into all the little pockets of our own world to make more disciples, filling the world with God's glory. Let water all around us remind us of that. Just like when we eat, it reminds us of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Let water remind us of that. Yeah, I love that point. That every, I mean, how much do we deal with water on a daily basis? You wake up, you brush your teeth, you wash your hair, you take a shower, you wash your hands, you wash your vegetables before you eat them. I mean, we're constantly around water, so. So cool. I love it. I mean, just like the meal reminds me of my, you know, yeah, my immersed identity. I mean, uh, my uh, Jesus sacrifice, and and the new covenant. Yep. Now water can remind me of of my baptism. immersed baptism. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's beautiful. Okay, if you want those big three takeaways, you get them as a free download by going to one two three lifeschool dot com forward slash big three, and it will come right away to your inbox. If you haven't yet joined our Facebook group, go to Facebook in the search bar, type in Life School Podcast. We will let you into the group and won't kick you out unless you become a punk. But it's very easy to get in, and there's an ongoing weekly discussion based off the, that episode. Um, also, new networks are forming up within there, like people living in different regions saying, hey, we're in Fort Worth. Anyone else close? Let's have dinner together. And so we like seeing that growing audience there. Hey, join us next week. We're going to talk about the seven worst evangelism mistakes today. So we've talked a little bit about evangelism and how creepy it can be, and we've talked about the difference between evangelism and discipleship. But next week we're gonna we're gonna share seven terrible evangelism mistakes that you can make or maybe I'm are sure making. that no one's making any of these, so it'll be super <laughs> redundant. Be seven. <laughs> yeah. We hope you'll be with us next Monday for that release. We want to thank you for joining us today. If you want more information on the podcast, you can visit one two three lifeschoolcom forward slash podcast. <laughs>